Welcome back to another episode of the RegTech Legends podcast. And I am delighted today to be joined by someone who I have uh, had the pleasure of knowing for, I guess, maybe more than 15 years, who I would say almost uniquely can point towards having scaled the sales function of not one, not two, but three RegTech firms successfully leading to two of those companies being acquired. A guy that I have actually worked for in the past when I was a salesperson at Acuity and someone that I'm proud to call my friend. That man is Ed Lloyd. Welcome, Ed. Thank you, Tom. Thank you for the kind words. Thank you for having me on the on the program. It's my pleasure. It's great to have you. And we finally booked this great one out. I know we've been talking about this basically for years now, haven't we? Less than a decade. <laughs> no, yeah i think probably well then pre pre-lockdown and stuff i think yeah probably four or five years is that right yeah yeah well Sometimes. i thought it'd be it, it, these things are all about timing aren't they and obviously you're known very well by a lot of people in the industry and obviously i know your story but for those that haven't had uh the pleasure of meeting you and hearing it so far i wondered if we should start right at the beginning and understand where your journey into RegTech began? Well, I think if you go back, one o'clock back a long time ago, uh, three decades about, um, I wanted to have a career in marketing, actually. I was really? obsessed at the time. Yeah, back in the day uh, when we only had four channels, uh, three of those, uh, two of those channels would have adverts on. And I was, I was really, uh, not obsessed, but it was a sort of passion of mine, I think, as to who made a really good advert and i suppose if you look at that now and analyze it it's probably who was communicating best to their audience for their to 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 entice them to buy their product right so who was selling this and positioning this the best um that's probably how i look back at that but at the time it was tv adverts and it was cool and there were some amazing ones out back in the day um like the guinness adverts anyone um maybe a more recent generation have a look at the historical Guinness adverts on, on YouTube. They're very, very cool. Um, so I, I got really into advertising. I wanted to become, uh, ha- have a career in it. And I did a placement year at university. I did a whole year in a, in a ex-IBM company um, in their marketing department. I really enjoyed that, rubbing shoulders with some uh, corporate uh, marketers and, and, and salespeople. It was a real eye-opener into that corporate world of sales and marketing. And a great foot in the door doing that placement year. I then got asked back by the head of sales, head of corporate sales, to go and work as a as a sort of graduate trainee, um, selling into their new clients in the city. So uh, that was my first job. Um, I did that fairly successfully for about six years, and, and really learned the sort of value based selling there. Um, we were it was ingrained in us, you know, what is the real value of this? product, what's it really going to be used for? Um, how can enhancements and new tech in the product help the client either save time or money? So it's really focused on driving efficiency gains um, into, into the client environments. So really, really interesting way of selling. So very much a solution sale um, rather than a, a product sale. So selling products as solutions 
Uh, I went to a comms company for for a while, and it was at that comms company I did a a presentation to uh, a firm in the city that provided mobile content onto uh, mobile devices for for trading platforms. And how I positioned the company I was working at and how we could add value to their business was was a little bit different from a PowerPoint. Um, uh, Rather than death by PowerPoint, I actually got up and used, they had a a roller board, um, which I drew the company on, not the company structure, but the company as a service and how it could enhance what they did. Um, and that was quite clever because it was kind of like a, a build, like a slide deck that builds and, and, and it told a story. And it was that storytelling that, that, that I told, um, which a few weeks later, when someone at Acuity was looking for someone to run their sales team in Europe, um, I got recommended by actually that, that prospective client. He said, well, there's well, this guy that came in who, who did a really good job at, at presenting their business. Why didn't you give him a call? So really? they did, and <clears throat> they did, and I got the job uh, at Acuity. And that's so, what 16, 16 years ago now, and that's probably when about the time I first started speaking to you. Uh, set the scene for me at Acuity when you joined there in two thousand. Did you say two thousand seven, two thousand six? It was yes, I'm around there. Yeah, it was it was pre Credit Crunch by a year or two. Uh, so, so I joined, I inherited a team. I think around six, five or six sales guys and a couple of we used to call telesales guys, so people who were, who were phone-based only, selling you know, lookup tools, et cetera. And then we had a team of field salespeople in London and one or two in mainland Europe um, approaching mainly, well, it was banks in those days, to go and sell the Acuity um, plethora of, of products, which was uh, based around uh, payments, uh, data, and, and some technology. Uh, and also some compliance, what we, we used to call compliance, so we, we would now call RegTech, uh, and, and some RegTech um, software and data, to simplify it. And I inherited that team. Um, what I noticed about that team is it was very, um, whilst there was a lot of enthusiasm there, the the GTM wasn't very clearly defined, right, go to market on who they were selling to. Um, really, people had far too many target clients quite frankly uh, and i found that is quite a common mistake some early firms make or, or pre pre fast pre scale make is they'll allocate too many accounts to an individual and one sales guy had 100 accounts that's a lot when you've got a few million pounds worth of tech and data you can sell them um and your target is was then i think probably half a million you know you just don't need that many clients in fact that person's replacement, who I'm not, I'm not sure if you've interviewed here, um, but was one of my first hires, uh, I got that number down to about eight accounts and they end up selling double what the previous person did. So having having less accounts doesn't mean you sell less. It sometimes and can and has been proven to mean you can sell more. Uh, who are we re- referring to there? I was on? referring to, so the hire was Victoria Lump. Uh, legendary Victoria Lum. Have you had her on your show? Talk? No, no, but we should, shouldn't we? Well, you must if, do, she you was, must if she's open to it, if she's listening, would love. She to might verify, verify, or or, uh, or deny. <laughs> <laughs> and so it's it's an acuity that our relationship begins because I remember 
traveling to Chancery Lane yeah. uh, to yeah. meet with this uh, cool company doing something called Compliance, which frankly, at that time, I, I knew very little about, but that you were looking to to scale because I think there'd been a, a fundamental change in that business. I think maybe you could just talk us through what prompted this need to dramatically scale the sales function. Yeah, so Acuity used to be, was formerly known as Thompson Financial Publishing. Uh, so it was, an, it was a, a division um, of product line, if you like, within within Thompson's before Thompson's became Thompson Reuters or before Thompson and Reuters became Thompson Reuters. Um, and that um, divisional product line, call it what you will, sell off, um, went to a private equity firm. And that private equity firm had plans to very much grow that business as it does with, with any businesses quite, quite aggressively. Um, and so whilst that wasn't necessarily my remit going in there, um, that was definitely the outcome. So the remit was, Here's the sales team. Here are the numbers. Go, go get them. Um, but it's only looking back on what was, what I'd done, what I put in, who I'd hired, how I'd hired, what sort of what my mantras were, if you like, at the time that I lived by. Um, that I went actually, gosh, that was that was a bit of a, a growing scale. So I, I kind of went into that as a regular sales manager would in in. Um, inheriting an existing team, um, but I think seeing the sort of the pressure from above from our owners um, and the significant number to get to um, made me realise that actually I need to probably need to put some processes and uh, structure and, and definitely some methodologies around solution selling that, that I'd learned over the years and, and I'd learned as a, as a manager to then help coach and, and implement and instill in the sales culture and in, in that sales organization. And coming out of uh, Acuity after all of that growth, which to be fair was through the world's deepest, darkest recession globally. Um, <clears throat> and we can talk about the how uh, in a minute, but, but it was only sort of looking back at that, that it was like, wow, that was, you know, that was a good growing scale. Again, uh, you, you can't do it on your own. You've got to do it with the right people. Um, but you've got to have the right structure, processes, and methodologies as well. And when I mean structure, I don't just mean um, the organization structure. Um, I mean having the right messaging, right? The, the right go-to-market, who you sell to them, how you sell to them, um, what value they're going to glean from your solution. Um, definitely the right people. And also how you're going to manage that team right the right um the right kpis for example the right cadences of internal meetings the types of internal meetings so and and yeah happy to get to add some more color to to, to that piece, <clears throat> uh, through the chat tom do you know it occurs to me that your journey into reg tech um is inextricably linked to to my journey into reg tech because mm. um i uh, first discovered Acuity because I cold called you. And I was working at a sales recruitment firm at the time. I cold called you. You said, you know, your timing couldn't be better. Um, we are looking for great people. So I, I, I made the journey to Queen's Court and Chancery Lane. And I remember walking out of our meeting after you had talked me through the three 
pillars of uh, acuity. Uh, mm-hmm. I think it was three pillars. Was that the the phrase that you used was, at the yeah, time? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Um, and actually, it was it must have been lunchtime because you kind of came walked out with me, and we were walking down the road back to the underground station. And I remember, I actually distinctly remember thinking, "Man, this sounds really exciting." And obviously, we're talking about payments and compliance. So this kind of brings me to to the, the I guess the point that I'm trying to make is one of the things I've observed about you is that you do a great job of getting people excited about working for your company. And it was very obviously the case back then at Acuity because um, we ended up doing a lot of work together. We helped you build that sales team that went on to be very successful. I ended up going and working for you. So, you know, it must have been effective uh, in that respect. Um, but you've done it at other companies since. And, you know, is it worth us just exploring that side of what you've done at these companies a little bit more? So, you know, the importance of hiring great people, but 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 how do you go about doing it? So, look, I, it's a great question. I, I think you can put some science into, into that process or into that task um and i'll come on to that in a second but i think the thing that the button you pushed there was i felt i was in a being uh interviewed by um a psychiatrist and i should really be lying (laughs) on a a couch with a box of issues at one point um but it it was a piece of around how do you make something like payments compliance sound sound interesting or, or or exciting to work for and i think for me that's that's part of who you're looking to hire right um in the sense that if they can find something exciting in that business like you can then it's probably going to work really well and that excitement comes from a lot of it from the people as well right it's about bouncing off those um not like-minded but like philosophered people that, that want to go and do well and, and are excited to be fair regardless of of the product or solution it's those people with the right attitude that, that are keen to do that um and that, that's a natural positive environment lots of sales coaches and mentors talk about you know surrounding yourself with with positive people positive salespeople. i think i i absolutely buy into that always have done um and I think if you put a bunch of really positive, like-minded people in a room, you can solve an awful lot of challenges. And that's the thing with these companies that want to grow rapidly. It, it is a challenge. And it's people that want to rise and thrive in that challenging environment who, who are going to you know, rise to the, the top and, and do well. It's as simple as that. Um, and I, I've seen that over and over again. So... I often say to people who I'm interviewing, look, if you want slow and steady, if you want a cruise ship, this this isn't for you. Yeah. Get, go and join a, a, a FTSE 100 corporate. But, uh, no, no offense or disrespect to anyone who does do that, but but startups are it, it, the opposite end of the spectrum of a cruise ship. They're like a speedboat, right? Um, they have far tighter abilities to turn sharply and move, change direction, unlike a, a, a big cruise ship or a super tanker. Um, but also, when you're that close to the waves, uh, things can be a bit rougher and choppy. Yeah, it can um, get a bit choppy. <laughs> and if the weather yes. turns, you know, 
that, that you know, it, it's not so great fun in a storm. But you can have a lot of fun bouncing off waves at high speed as well. Lots of people enjoy that. So, and you can ski and water ski behind a fast speedboat, etc. So, so, so being on the speedboat can be a lot of fun. And it's looking for people with that kind of similar outlook that that they enjoy that kind of slightly challenging environment yeah. and are going to make the most of it. That that you want to be that enjoy a challenge, right? They're, they're not someone that wants something easy. They literally want to be stimulated by the challenge. So, so, but th- so this is what we need to unpick. Psychology behind it. This is what we need to unpick because, of course, you're right. Um, getting a lot of high motivated, positive, like minded people into your firm is likely to get good results, right? Subject to all of the other things that we'll probably get into that you need to kind of have in place to set them up for success. Yeah. Um, but the challenge of a lot of startups is the ability to attract those types of people to it because inherently they have options. If they are a hardworking, intelligent, um, positive individual with a successful track record, I imagine there are many companies that would like to to hire those guys. The thing that always stood out for me uh, when it came to working with you is that you had a very good track record of attracting those people to to your company. Once they'd met with you, they were keen. Yeah. Why is that? I think that's, well, I, I'm guessing, it's a great, I don't know the answer to that question. I would say it's how... Let, let me let that. me just let me just make it easier to answer. Sorry, because yeah. I realise what you're going to do there is not want to um, sound like you're 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 bragging. So so why yeah, don't correct. we why don't we say this? How do you go about hiring people? What's what's the pro? Let's walk through you know the the way that you position the company that you're working for, um, how you develop the brief. What's the the interview structure? Let's just work, let's just talk through that. If I look at my hiring process. I have a guiding principle and a, and a sort of three-stage hiring process, which which helps me execute on hire well, sell well. If I look at what that guiding principle is, it's I call it the th- three A's. Now it used to be something else, but now I call it three A's. So is that candidate what I would call AAA rated? So first A stands for attitude, so the right attitude uh, of of being coachable, having a good work ethic. Um, the second A is activity, so doing the, the appropriate amount of activity of the right activities to get you to your goals, and aptitude. How, how, and I split that into two. Um, what, one is around being able to do that solution sell, the, the ability to, to, and the aptitude to have even be coached and trained how to do a solution sell if you haven't done it before, um, but also aptitude in the ability to sort of adapt and evolve to that that complex sale, if that makes sense. Lots of interview processes vary, right? I mean, I remember when I was in sales, I, I, I was telling someone earlier, I remember doing two um, sort of uh, personality slash verbal reasoning type tests in the same day that were identical, and I got neither job. One thought I was too salesy, and the other thought I was too much of an account manager. <laughs> um, and, and I remember thinking that, that this is, you know, that's over-sciencing it. There's something not working here. Um, I, I think as a sales manager of any level, you should have a good amount of emotional intelligence and aptitude to be able to understand who is sitting in front of you and how they're articulating what they're articulating um, is super, super important to be able to do that. 
I break it down into a three-stage process, as I said. So I typically do a phone interview first for about 10 minutes. That's really just to see what someone's like on the phone. Um, arguably, even today, you're still going to be doing some phone conversations and phone prospecting. Um, I don't think, whilst that might be different or less, um, and that's evolved a lot over the last 10 years, certainly, but you're still going to be doing some discussions without video and <clears throat> hearing what someone's, how they're positioning themselves uh, to you. Uh, are they doing all the talking? Are they ask, asking questions, etc.? What's that split why, like? Why do you do that on the phone instead of on a video call? Uh, just to save that hour of time or more, actually, um, for the candidate, they might spend um, an hour getting to you. Um, and money getting no no but on instead of why would you do it uh, do you mean you do it as a video uh, sorry as an audio only call instead of with the video right absolutely audio only why cool i think for a couple of reasons tom the first would be that as i said they're going to be if they are going to be doing an element of cold or warm calling in their role that's unlikely to be over a video people don't tend to answer their facetime videos on a cold call right it tends to be yeah uh, either a landline if they're office-based or if they're home-based um, on their mobiles, tends to be coming through uh, on audio only. And, and so I want to understand and, and visualise what I'm hearing over the phone. I also think it cuts out any unconscious bias that you know people may or may not have um, a, a, about someone's appearance on, on the video straight away, right? Uh, that's Very not good. actually yeah. why I do it. I, I, that's not why I do it. I, I think that's a, a, an outcome benefit for sure. Um so what are they like speaking to me? How do they articulate themselves? How do they communicate? Tone and intonation, that's what we always used to say. I Well, there's that, right? Smile while you dial. Um, <laughs> all those good ones. Turn that frown upside down. Uh, all that so, good stuff. But so telephone interview first, 10 minutes. Telephone first. 10, quite short, sharp and to the point. Max. Yeah, you know, hey, what do you think currently? What are you looking for? How, why? Here's what we have. You know, just get a feel for it, right? Um, and that gives you a feel for the candidates because um, actually I would say I DQ, I, I dequalify probably 30 to 50% of candidates. Really? But otherwise, I would have sat through an hour and gone, that was a complete waste of my hour of time. And when you're growing a scaling business, every second is precious, every minute is precious, certainly every hour is, is gold. So, yeah. And it works both ways, right? So you don't want someone investing time. Yeah, they might have spent money on a train, plane, automobile coming to see you. Um, and actually, you don't need to do that. You know, you can get a good size of someone in a 15-minute conversation. You should be able to, right? Um, if it's five or 10 minutes, no brainer. Great, let's move on. Great, when can you come in, to, can you come in tomorrow? Can you come in today? What, what, why wait a week? If you've got room and diary, book them in as quickly as possible. I actually had a candidate do that with me. Uh, I was doing a 15-minute phone call, um, something we talked about earlier. And... Uh, <clears throat> And they said, well, look, I'm free now. Uh, have you got some time now? And I said, actually, yeah, it's lunchtime. I've got the whole whole hour free now. So they said, great, can I come and see you? They did, and they ended up getting a job. They went through to the second stage. Um, so the second stage for me is that sort of one-hour face-to-face meeting. Um, and again, whilst, yes, I'm asking questions around deal sizes, sales cycle lengths, that kind of thing, to see if it's a similar, it's a similar fit to what we're doing. I'm also trying to work out, really, can I work with this person? What are they going to be like to to work with? Are they going to be coachable? 
um what's their attitude like in this in this interaction um are they talking and demonstrating they've done the right kind of and they understand the types of activities involved in in building and growing uh, a new business territory um and uh, and again are they demonstrating some of that aptitude as well uh as i say both from a sales execution perspective solution sale but also are they thinking on their feet if i ask them a trickier question but but for me that first interview is not about tripping people up it's not about finding holes in people um being on the receiving end of that some of those things is 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 horrendous um i know i've done it uh, a few times many times and, and it's just not fun so so i would hope that anyone who's done a first interview with me a majority um would go away thinking actually that's really good i quite like to go and explore that further even if they didn't progress um i'm sure one or two have gone out and gone well that's not for me or whatever but but i would hope that majority go actually yeah, i quite, quite like to follow that up because you also have to think further down the line right if this is a three five six seven year gig that i'm going into to go and grow scale that business we're going to sell well actually i might need that person in the next one so there's no point really upsetting yes. anyone if you can and why would you want to upset people if you you know if you can avoid it right 100 life um so so i always try and make that first meeting about trying to get to know get to know that candidate can i work with them have they got the uh, are they triple a rated right uh, attitude aptitude uh, and activity are they demonstrating those those skill sets um <clears throat> if so then we'll put them through to the the third stage which is pretty much the final stage um which is uh, around an hour may, may go over a bit more an hour i like to do a role play I like to do a role play because if I just went based on the interview about them telling me that they have done a solution sale, when it comes to the role play, that some of them end up not doing a solution sale. They end up just presenting a product, right? Just with website information on. Um, and really for me, that kind of first meeting tells me what kind of salesperson they are. Are they doing 80% of the talking or 80% of the listening, which is really what they should be doing? So, so that's really, really important, that role play. Are, are, they, are they demonstrating that they can do the sale that, that they've said they can? Are, are they demonstrating and proving that to you? So, so that is much more the kind of interview test stage for me is that second, that second and final meeting. Um, and sometimes I get them to do uh, a first 90 days. What, what are they going to be doing in their first 90 days? What activities they're going to be doing? Um, I think nowadays with that easy access to internet and devices, third parties and AI chat bots, uh, they could probably uh, come up with some very textbook answers. But I'm not just looking for the content. I'm looking for how it's been put together. Does this person know how to use PowerPoint slickly and effectively? Um, have they had the uh, aptitude to go to the website and, and sort of try and do some branding that, that might look familiar to me? Or, or have they gone for something really, you know, off the hook and wacky and wild or, or really simplistic? So, so again, there isn't a, a necessarily a right uh, answer for that. But have they shown some, some aptitude around the um, structure and, and um, 
design of that PowerPoint, okay? Because they're going to be building, obviously from templates, but there still will be bespoke PowerPoints as, as every salesperson, at some stage should be in their career bespoking PowerPoints. So, so what's their ability of the PowerPoint? How good are they on their feet at presenting this? What kind of messages are they getting across and communicating? How articulate are they? Have they put the right amount of research into that? Uh, that, that would demonstrate good attitude um, and good activity, for example. Um, and so, you know, the cadence of that interview process is important. You don't want it too long that um, people go off and find something else, but you, you want to be able to give a reasonable amount of time to prepare for that as well. So. You know, that whole process shouldn't take more than two to three weeks, ideally. Um, and then there might be a third, final third phone call, for example. Again, wrap up with a 10, 15 minute um, around the offer. If you've got someone from HR who does those offers, you, you may not need to get involved in that. But if you haven't got HR owning and negotiating that 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 offer, then obviously you know you might need to do some of that over the phone as well. But again, you don't need to do that all face to face. Some people may prefer to do that. And within those interviews at each stage, is there anything that that you do specifically that you look for, or how you assess them that's that that people might be interested in? Yeah, look, I I mentioned earlier about adding a bit of science to the to the art of selling, right? And so scoring that role play, scoring that second meeting is really really important. So. Um, I have a scorecard that I use uh, that I created many years ago, um, and I like to keep it simple, give them a mark out of five, um, uh, and it's very easy to get to to a hundred, hundred percent across you know four or five areas. What, um, what are the four or five areas that are on so the scorecard? I, so I think rapport, right? How well did they build rapport prior to the meeting? If it's uh, if it's face to face, did they do the the pre and, and during the lift uh, elevator ride chat, uh, did they do any ice breaking? Do they build any foundations for a relationship as a salesperson in that in that meeting? Um, and and you know rapport would include sort of how how credible they were as well. Um, for me, one of those has to be questions as well. Um, what what type of questions um, were they doing? A solution based sales approach by asking intelligent questions. I think the, the structure and flow of that meeting is very important. Um, you know, did they do a time check to make sure you're okay for the, the 45 minutes or an hour allocated, depending on, on how long you're going to be doing? Um, did they, was there, was there an agenda? Did they talk you through that? Did they ask you, you know, around objectives that you'd like to get out of the meeting? Um, did they do a good, good overview of their, of, of the company they're representing? Did they, they do a positioning uh, statement or statements. Um, and then did they go, go into the questioning and then did they wrap up at the end and do a summary? And really importantly, did they book the next meeting in, in that meeting? Um, so that would be, so, the next that would be the closing. So closing is a whole separate thing. So did they close you? Did they, how effective was that wrap up? Did they, did they book in that follow-up meeting? You know, the best time to book in a meeting with someone is when you're with someone. Everyone has access to their calendar nowadays wherever they are they've got a phone with them they've got access to their work calendar so so booking in that meeting with that person you, you get one shot of being in front of that person so, so booking that follow-up meeting in is absolute gold dust uh, and key so so i would absolutely um give them a score uh, out of five for for their effectiveness of, of wrapping the meeting meeting up that 
because it's got to include progression in there for a follow-up meeting on a good one. So summary and progress probably is the two things I'm looking for there. Uh, and, and how they finish it, you know, smiling, shaking hands, etc. Um, I think timing as well of the meeting is important. Did they take too long? Did, did they try and get it really short and think they've achieved their goal of progress? Um, but actually, the, as the as the role player on the other side, on the receiving end, I might be thinking, actually, they don't really know my business very well, and they keep pitching me this product. On. You know, so so the timing of the of, of all of that is really really important. And then you know, add up the scores, multiply it by four, five, three, whatever, how many questions you're going to do to give you a, a you know a good percentage number, and obviously keep a record. Very simple to keep a, yes. a record of the candidates. There's lots of apps now that, that you can add comments into for the candidates, etc. But but if you haven't got um, or subscribed to any of those apps, I would just open a spreadsheet with candidate progress on it, and I would just type it in first stage, second stage, um, and and scores are hmm. how they're doing. And when you review that at the end of a week, you see ten candidates, or at the end of a fortnight, you might have seen five, ten, fifteen, twenty. Um, but going through their scores, um, reminding yourselves of Yes. what they were like um, you might want to readjust that score um, but it, it will certainly scoring them will give you an idea of even, even if they're a strong candidate where they they might need some some polishing and, and some coaching or mentoring do you know the, the, this is something i couldn't agree with you more on and i think it's uh this is something that isn't done by everyone and, and should be uh, a couple of reasons like you said if you're actually interviewing for uh potentially more than one role um, you you can actually meet a lot of people in a week for interviews, and actually by the end of the week, it can be very challenging to remember all the uh, the details about them. So having some written down notes formalised somewhere and also a scoring system allows you to obviously keep track of that better. So that's very useful. Um, uh, but also we uh, at Bark White, you know, uh, is a, a search firm. We work with companies making senior hires, and some of them. Um, ask us for advice on how to remove unconscious, unconscious bias from their hiring process. And one mm. of the things that you could do in that is to make sure everyone is uh, assessing candidates against the same set of criteria and then yes. giving them the opportunity to compare and contrast those scores uh, and explore why they differ. Um, and that's just a really good way of getting everyone on the same, uh, on the same, singing from the same hymn sheet Um agreeing what it is that they're looking for at the outset. And if there is any unconscious bias there, being able to identify it, explore it, and uh, uh, and hopefully remove it from the process. Well, I think that's a great observation. And certainly one of the things I do as well with firms is when I look at their messaging statements and, and help you know, reword it effectively uh, by doing workshops um, with most of the, as many of the employees as I can, that, that are involved in communicating that messaging, i.e. sales, marketing, product, um, and, and the founders and, and the exec team, is really making sure we're getting the right story and message across to our prospective clients, not just in sales, but also marketing can utilize that as well and put it on the website. Um, and also in and both partners can use it in the in the in the sales decks, the client decks presentation. Um, but where I was going with that is I like to have a, a competition for the salespeople around their execution of that messaging. So once we've done a workshop and got to the right outcome message statements, 
document that and then coach and train salespeople on how to deliver that best and important that they put their own mark on delivering of the delivery of that so not get them just to read a script and learn a script but to actually personalize that messaging but to the core value statements of that messaging so let me give you an example in um in a company i've worked at we would talk about you know there are three key functions right three key messages three key pillars three key foundation blocks i don't mind what you call them but there are three of them <laughs> yeah, right. so, so so that that's the the message that needs to come across there are three of these things that, that i need to communicate to you first is x second is y third is z but there are three of them and i don't mind what you call them how you position them as a salesperson but there are three of them it, we will agree this is why they're all important to be communicated so <clears throat> I would then do a test on that, as I said, and score that test as well and get a, get a panel, get, get other people from the business uh, to do that. It might be a sales ops person, it might be uh, a founder, it might be um, a head of tech. It, it, it matters less, that you're, but you're, to your point, you're getting three lots of input, scoring their own scores, and at the end, we compare and contrast and give an overall score. But, but having that discussion, other people will see stuff that you're not seeing right it's always best to have another pair of eyes and ears for them anyway not just for unconscious bias but also to make sure that person's getting you know a fair a fair representation of, of uh, result how do you position though those assessments that you're doing their their point and purpose i think it goes back to that triple a rating right if, if someone is new to the business or existing in the business and they've got a really good positive attitude they're going to see that as a learning task and and um for me though it's about competition all salespeople are competitive or should be whether extrovertly or introvertedly that they all salespeople in my experience have an element of competitiveness about them and it's that inner competitiveness that might get played on a bit more than in other situations uh, for that task and you know who, who really is the best salesperson uh, might be going to the salesperson who thinks they're the best salesperson or or has certainly put the numbers on the board uh, and might be a bit too above all this this might be a bit beneath them all um, but actually there's a new hot shot new person coming are, are they gonna steal the crown how are they gonna feel about that so having some fun with it i think is really important um and making it competitive um i tend to get a prize like a, a cup um you know stamped and engraved um which you can pass on from person to person throughout the company over the years um and, and that's quite a bit of fun i'm sure lots of salespeople who might be who've done this with me might be raising their eye, eyes upwards uh and going on oh, that was a nightmare but but at the time uh, it, it, there's a lot of excitement and chatting in the corridors waiting before they come into the room and do their uh, X-Factor moment. Um, so, yeah. Uh, and, I, and I've often called them, actually. Um, so-and-so's got talent, right? So if it was acuity, acuity's got talent or whatever. So so make it that, make it a bit of fun. Um, make it competitive. You know, everyone's a winner, but actually here's a prize for the best one that had the highest score. So, so when you're looking for a role, 
when you're looking for your next position, are there any kind of lessons learned from um, from working at all of those firms, some of which will have been, you know, I, I imagine very successful stints and, and some of them less so, as is the way of things. Is there anything you've learned along the way that you're looking for in a firm to work for um, that are an indicator that this is going to be an, uh, a successful outfit for you? I think... If I look back, Tom, in my in my twenties, if I sum it down easily into, let's just say, three P's. The first P being product. Right? What's the product like? Is it good? Can I sell this? The second P being people. Is it a good bunch of people to work with? Am I surrounded by positive people? And the third B being price, as in the price I can sell myself out into this company. I what, what's the salary? Okay. Um, but PPS might sound weird, so I call it three Ps. Um, but if I look at those three Ps, I think in my 20s, I was really chasing prices, really chasing the salary, right? Chase the base. Uh, we talked a lot about uh, in, in your early career. I think in the middle of your career, you start to realize as that salary gets up to, to a more uh, reasonable level, let's say, um, you then start to go, well, actually, that's a bit less. It's important, but actually... Um, for me, I really want to sell a really amazing product, right? Because I'm, if you're selling it, if you're not managing it, if you're selling it, um, the product can, can be really important for someone if you're in a market where the salaries are good and they're all at a similar, similar level. Um, what I've really learned though, is the P that in my twenties and thirties, I was less fussed about is actually the most important one, which is people. And I know on LinkedIn, there's always every day a meme about people make a company and great people. This is great. It, it, it's so true though, but not, not just about building and scaling a company, but who you interact with every day. So for me, it, it, it's a bit like that first interview I give, we were talking about earlier in the, in the hiring process. You know, can I really work with this person over the next three to five years? I'm pretty sure that in that getting to know interview that I do with people, they're thinking the same thing. You know, can I work for Edge? You know, um, can I do this for the next three to five years? Because sales typically, you know, an average an average sales um, tenure is probably three to five years. So some go more, some go less. But uh, ideally, you really want to be, you know, looking at around that in, in a smaller firm because hopefully by then you'll have been promoted upwards. If you're doing well, uh, if it's a great company, or, uh, or or you're likely to get headhunted by 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 Tom Richardson and uh, moved on. Sales and leading sales teams is a tough gig. You've been doing it a long time. Why do you do it? The important one for me is I really enjoy helping people further their skills and importantly, their careers. Um, genuinely, I've promoted quite a lot of people and I believe in promoting from within uh, uh, over hiring someone externally, uh, unless you have to. But watching people come on their journeys, if I look back at people I had as sales guys 16 years ago now, uh, most of them are leading teams, running businesses, running divisions in FTSE 100 companies. 
etc. They've, they've done really, really well. And I like to hope or think that part of that was because I helped them somewhere on that journey. I'm not responsible for that journey. They are responsible for that journey. But I like to help them a little bit in that way. Very good. Bit of a curveball. What was the darkest moment in your career? Um, that's a bit morbid, Tom. We'll get more. We'll get more life, positive in a minute. Uh, don't worry. Yeah, I hope so. Um, aside from stuff happening in personal life, really, I, I don't think there's anything dark. Um, but uh, look, I think for me, it's probably. I'd have to say lockdown, actually. Um, you know, going from a, a sales floor where, you know, you've got some camaraderie, um, lots of positive energy, lots of interaction to all being taken away, um, no human action, you know, no going for a quick chat or a quick lunch with someone or yeah. whatever uh, at the coffee machine. But all that goes. So so, so for me, I, dark might be the wrong word. It's probably the least toughest, enjoyable. The toughest sure. moment. I, toughest I should have asked the question as the toughest yeah. moment, yeah. I think what? for me, Tom, you know, when, when people talk about the economy, when people talk about, um, you know, it being tough out there, I, I actually think it's an opportunity. Um, I don't know if you know the poem, If. Uh, I think one of the lines is, if all of those around you are losing their heads. Um, when there is a downturn in an economic climate, it's actually a sales opportunity, not the other way around. Okay, and most people say, "What are you talking about? You're mad." What are you talking about? You, You're mad. Thanks, Tom. Uh, what, what I mean by that is, if you have a if you have a solution to a problem, okay, because your solution selling, you have a solution to a problem. As I've said before in this talk, if you're focusing on the outcomes, the business outcomes of, of that solution, the reality is some of those are going to be if it's. If it's reg tech, one of the outcomes has to be reducing risk and one of the outcomes has to be saving time and money. If you focus more heavily on the saving time and money and you can prove that to the firm uh, in, in, a, in a, let's say, a proof of concept, then you're much more likely to get your sale. Okay, Because if you can prove you can save that company or even generate that company more revenue because maybe you fasted the onboard of those clients more quickly, for them, for example. Then if you can prove you can generate money for that client or save money for that client, they're more likely to buy your product than anyone else's, your your platform, your solution, however you position it. They're more likely to buy that than not. And so downturn <clears throat> markets are an opportunity. Not don't lose your head is my is my message, I think. Personal words for now. Um, what's the proudest moment of your career? I think there have been quite a few, Tom. Uh, they would be down to um, watching an individual grow uh, and get promoted. Um, that look on their face, you know, when they when they get told they're getting promoted, um, giving people pay rises, big commission checks. Um, helping close a big deal for a smaller firm, you know, its first tier one bank or something. That's quite, you're pretty proud of those moments. 
Um, and proud for the salesperson for sure. Um, getting a firms to exit, uh, I've done that a couple of times as, as an exec, at the sort of C-suite level. That that's something to be really proud of, uh, because that is the ultimate goal of a lot of these reg tech firms is to grow, scale, and and sell, and ultimately sell or float, right? Um, and if you can get to that sale, that's it's a really you've you've achieved your goal as an exec you've, in sales, as a sales leader, you've achieved your goal. Um, and that is something you should be proud of. So um, obviously there's been you know, share options to go with that. And so there's a financial reward uh, and that's fantastic. Don't get me wrong. But yeah, from a pride perspective, yeah, I feel pretty proud about that. I feel very proud about some of the people that are out in the industry doing really, really well. But as I say, I've, I've been an amount of help in their career. Um, I get very proud of. So yeah, loads of things. I don't think there's any one standout one. It, it, I would have to say all of the above. Um, yeah, I just just enjoy it, Tom. Just enjoy it. Ed, it occurs to me that when we look at some of the organisations you have worked at, you have worked with, alongside, in some cases managed, and in some cases, even hired some of the very best salespeople and now leaders within this industry. Are there any people you want to give a, a quick hat tip to? Gosh, um, there would be loads, Tom. Um, I mean, all fellow exec teams at Acuity, um, special shout out to Henry Bellani, Jay Ryan, Bob McGay, uh, Hugh Jones, incredible CEO and leader. Um, and on the sales side, yes, I mean, lots of uh, good sales guys there. Apologies if you don't get a mention, uh, but but obvious standouts who who are now um, reg tech legends in their own right. To your point, um, you've got the likes of Joel Lang, uh, Greg Leach, uh, Victoria Lum, uh, Sean Norris, Jeremy Doyle, uh, you know, and, and and a bunch of others. Um, in Alacra, again. Gosh, all the exec team. Big shout out to 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 Ajit, Bob Delaney, Tom Crossgrove uh, on the sales side. Ben Ben Gould, uh, Abs Gosh, Howard Dilworth, um, and great CS team. I managed there as well with Bryony and, and Victoria and, and Mona, Mona um, McKay. They're awesome, awesome team. Um, and more recently, at Compass again, my my fellow exec team um, uh, along the sales side, uh, Bob Delaney again. Uh, Henry Bellani again, uh, Howard Dilworth again, um, Rob Duncan. <laughs> I'm starting to see a pattern. Here. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Rob Duncan and, and, and Rob Gestrin for sure will, will, will be great, great contributors to, to that. But, and others besides. So, uh, yeah. you know, apologies if you didn't get a mention, but yes, there are many. That was a powerful. That was a powerful group of people that we've just kind of uh, mentioned there. Well, I think it goes back to what, what I was saying earlier. You know, the people are just so important. That's what really helps grow scale a business is, is everyone else around you. It's not, not just one person doing it, right? Um, it's it's having a great team of people around you, alongside you and above you. Um, I thought I came off a conversation earlier today with someone around their business has got a really strong exec leadership team. You know, they've done this a few times each. That those firms tend to do really, really well. Um, uh, and if you know if you're a, a founder out there in early stages, you know try, try and surround yourself by people who've done this before. It really does help. Um, and you know, get get the right people in in your business. Get a great recruiter 
you can you can help fill that team out um, and, and definitely get a great you know, sales leader. It's really, really important. Good advice. Have you observed any common pitfalls um, of early stage companies when it comes to scaling up a sales function that you've encountered in your you know multiple roles doing that? Yes, definitely, Tom. If you look at a lot of startups are started by product or technical people. I think if you look at um, the thing they then go and do is hire a salesperson or, or two salespeople, but they don't necessarily know how to manage that salesperson. Why would they? That's not their background. But they were, uh, and because they're looking not to spend money on a sales leader, right? Because they probably couldn't afford a sales leader. Um, they then got to take the word for the salesperson that they are bringing to that business that may or may not know how to sell that specific reg tech product well. And, and that with it brings all kinds of challenges for the for the founders. Okay. Um, and again, I would advise those founders go and either get a fractional CRO, so a fractional chief revenue officer, um, uh, the other thing is I would go and work with a, a sales consultancy. There's plenty of those around um, and just get some basic structure put in, a structure process um, rather than methodology. So make sure the GTM is correct. Make sure the vision and mission statements are there. Um, make sure the messaging is right. You know, really sit down with marketing if you have one or the salespeople um, and try and Make sure that the the messaging focuses in, on the outcomes, not tech. The tech isn't what you do; it's how you do it. The, the what you do is the outcome of the tech. Right. So my advice, Tom, would be: if you have the ability to do it internally, you need to focus on. And if you can't go externally, give me a call, send me a message on LinkedIn. But but what you need to do is focus on making sure that messaging is correct, making sure those value statements are there, making sure they're across your website, uh, in your sales dialogues, um, and also in your presentations as well. So focus on the outcome of what your technology does for people, okay? And we're in red tech, right? So it's, I think it's probably gonna be uh, reduce risk and save time and money. But, but I'm asking everyone in this industry, if that's your messaging, it's not it's not effective enough okay it's not effective enough you need to be saying what are the outcomes of that what, what is that risk that i'm reducing and, and how is it reduced and what does it reduce by okay ditto on the save time and money so so let me give you an example tom which company you're gonna buy for company a that says i've got this great tech it's amazing because my algorithms are so great and uh, i'm a SaaS platform i'm easy to consume and digest or say I can save you operational headcount of X percent in your teams that are focusing on on false positives, spending wasting time on false positives. That that's an outcome value statement. That, don't just say, oh yeah, I save time and money. Um, because that, that outcome statement, that value statement is what your company does. You help companies reduce operational expense in their in their false teams. Filing three false positives every day. That, that's what you do. How you do it is with great tech and great algorithms, et cetera, et cetera. So, so focus on, on getting the what right and the how, the right way around. Okay. And most companies make the mistake 
of talking about the tech as being the what they do, and it isn't. It isn't what they do, it's how they do it. Um, if people want some, uh, watch a video on that, there's a great one um, by Simon Sinek on YouTube, S-I-N-E-K, Simon Sinek on YouTube, called Start With Why, and he, he elaborates that and talks about it. So was there anything else on that question of, you know, are there any common things that you've noticed companies are commonly getting wrong? I think, well, the messaging, so it's, so it's hiring it's sales messaging. guys in, hiring sales guys in without anyone above them is a mistake. Yeah. Without, without a means to manage them. So Tom, I think if you look at how you're going to manage that salesperson, I, I would get that external advice um, either through me or, or a consultant. But you need to have the right KPIs that you're measuring that salesperson by, okay? So how do you work out a KPI? Quite simply, work out what number you need to get to, work out how many uh, signed contracts you would expect to have at your average deal size, work out therefore what the ratios are typically, um, 20, 25% conversion ratios across sales, uh, across the sales cycle. But you can actually break, break that down individually. If I have, if it takes me three months in a in a contractual and procurement sales process within a bank, um, then at any one given moment in that year, um, that's one contract I've got out ready to sign. Okay, but if it goes out in November, I'm not going to sign it that year. Okay, so you need to look at what what your financial year is. You need to look at how many contracts you you, you expect to sign at your average deal size. Um, work out how many. Uh, proposals, the relationship between proposals and contracts you need to have out there. I not all, and your CRM system should have this conversion ratio in there. Let's say it's 50, 60, 70% typically of what I see around proposals. So if I'm going to convert 50% of my proposals, I need five contracts in my first year. I need 10 proposals in my first year. If I need 10 proposals in my first year, I probably need around 20 uh, demos or POCs, whichever route you're going to go down. And if I need 20, 30, Demos, POCs, well, I, I need a, a lot of first meetings. I'll probably quadruple that in first meetings because I'm going to have a 25% conversion ratio from a lead, you know, to, to, a, to a solid prospect that's going to go some distance. Okay. So I'm going to need four times that prospects, qualified opportunities as I am uh, demos. Okay. Yeah. So the KPIs. KPIs Anything else? Okay. A good recruiter, a good recruiter, okay. and a good, a good, a good recruiter and a good advisor, Tom. So, advisor, I think sales advisor, commercial advisor, pricing is important. Have you got the right pricing uh, model? Uh, I've seen some firms get completely the wrong pricing structures. Um, they might work for the first year or two, but they don't work beyond that. I've seen others that you know don't work for the first year or two, and they've got to re redo them. So, getting the pricing structure correct getting the right uh, commission plan in place for the salespeople is super, super important. Uh, I, the amount of firms I've been into where I've seen what I call a disincentive plan is fairly high. Yeah. Uh, sit down and work through with the founder and the head of finance that what can work. Why is it this way? You know, sales is relatively unique. Okay, you might get some pre-sales, some customer success managers also be on, a, on some kind of variable. But typically, a salesperson has, has such a great proportion of their variable uh, that can match or sometimes be more than their base salary. And that's, that's unusual 
in roles, okay? Um, and there's a reason for that because it's not easy and you are at the cutting edge of the company and you are out there, you know, fighting a good fight putting the effort in. That's not to say there aren't other people in other parts of the business putting effort in. I've seen all kinds of people work 24-7. But sales get paid commission and that commission plan needs to be, it needs to be right. It needs to be proportional. It needs to be fair. It needs to be reasonable. It needs to be realistic. It needs to be uh, competitive compared to other firms in the industry. I, I've, I've lost candidates because of commission plans, and that's deeply frustrating. Um, so a good commission plan is super key in attracting and retaining great salespeople. You've got to have a relationship with your recruiter. I, I think recruiters... I think recruiters can get uh, some unfair criticism around being sort of unnecessary evils, et cetera. Um, my experience of working with you and other good recruiters is you build a relationship with that person. It's so important. The, the better your relationship, the more likely they are to put the right people in front of you. Working with great recruiters not will only just further your career, but it, when we're talking about growing and scaling red techs, the better the relationship you have with your recruiter means the better candidate you're going to have. It's as simple as that. It's as simple as that. If if I look at how you work with me, Tom, and other recruiters like you that I have great relationships with, hi everyone, um, I'll do your podcast too. Uh, you know, they'll say they, they won't waste my time chucking 20, 30 candidates in if I'm looking for one. They'll put one or two in because they know they know that I'm going to say no to the other 28. So they don't waste their time or mine because they know me. They know what I'm looking for. Um, and so I would advise any hiring manager out there, get to know your recruiter. Go and spend some time. Get to buy you lunch. Uh, but go and, <laughs> go, and, go and get to know them a bit more. Get them to know you. Um if you don't feel comfortable with them, uh, then they're probably not the right recruiter for you. You should feel very comfortable and ease with your recruiter, having some fairly you know, good dialogues with them. And the more you, you are able to um, share with them, not just about the company, the role, but, but you, the more likely you are to get the right people into your business. Ed, if you had one piece of advice for an 18-year-old Ed Lloyd, what would it be? Oh, la, la. I think that's a good question, Tom. I hadn't really thought about that before. Uh, someone once told me that uh, if you gave yourself advice, uh, miss out on probably a lot of that journey and, and fun experience uh, and mistakes that you've got to make. And I think do think people have to make mistakes. People have to f learn how not to fall over when they're learning to walk. Um, people who know me will know I've said that in, in sales coaching before. Uh, I think you do have to fall over and, and make mistakes. Um, just learn from them. Just learn from them. So if I was giving myself any advice, it wouldn't be don't do this, don't do that, don't go to that company, don't go to this company. It would just be learn learn as well as you can your mistakes. Try not to repeat the same mistakes because that's probably stuff we've all done. Good advice. Mr. Lloyd, thank you for your time. It's been a genuine pleasure, Tom, as always, to engage with you. But uh, certainly, you know, it's been a really interesting session, actually. I would encourage any of my uh, fellow RegTech legends to 
to do this. It's actually been almost a bit like a therapy session. So, well, I'll send you uh, the invoice uh, shortly. <laughs> <laughs> we, we, we all need one of those every now and again, don't we? So no, but in all seriousness, it's been really enjoyable. Uh, it's made me really think about things that I, you know, I've done right, I've done wrong. So uh, and and all the great people I've worked with. So um, yeah, really enjoyable. Thanks, Tom. Appreciate well, it. Well, the pleasure is all mine. Cheers, Ed. Take care. Oh, and one last thing, Tom. If uh, anyone out there on LinkedIn wants to reach out and, and uh, connect or, or, or ask questions, you know, please please feel free if they've liked uh, anything they've heard today. Thanks very much. Thank you.